expressions of worship can't be contained. And someone who's fully devoted to Jesus, it's just got to come out. Maybe some of you have done something like that in, in the outdoor cathedrals of Pisgah Forest, going out onto a mountaintop and just worshiping God, not just not letting it, holding anything back. But what's a person supposed to do when they live in the city? They have to worship in the cathedral of their city that they live in. And today, I, I, we were talking about worship, and we want to begin this series because worship is connected to this idea of full devotion to Jesus Christ. It's one of our core values. And when I talk about full devotion, again, this isn't something that some arbitrary thing that we picked and said, ah, that sounds like a good core value for a church. No, this is something that, that is in my roots, that's in what's been taught to me since I was a young man. And, um, and, and you know, when I was a kid in the 80s and, and just came to Christ, you know, you said things like uh, when something was really cool, you said, man, that's really radical. That's, that's radical, man. And we were talking about this in youth group, and, and some of our leaders were talking to us and saying, what does radical mean? And we found out that the real definition of radical is back to the root, back to the original. And so it began this whole study for us, uh, going back to the originator of our faith, Jesus Christ, going to the root of our faith, Jesus Christ, and studying him and his life. If we want to be real uh, Christ followers, then we need to focus on the originator of our faith. In the same way, I, I believe that we can go and turn to the scriptures and find out what is really true spiritual worship. How do we offer that? And, and today is, is the beginning of a really what I hope for you guys, and, and I love you guys, but I, I want us to really grow in expanding our worship beyond just a set place and a set time. And, and really, that's uh, what happens uh, when our worship and our devotion to God is expressed in spiritual worship. Let, let me read to you this verse. It's, it's Romans 12, 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I just want to ask, do you want to participate in real spiritual worship? You know, you ever done something and you kind of found out or you, you bought something, you thought it was original, and then you, you turned it over and it said made in China or you found out it wasn't the original. Oh, I thought I bought original. We, we went to New York once and, and my wife bought this copy of, of a movie uh, that shouldn't have been released. And she was like, I'm so excited. Look, we got this movie before anybody else. And I said, I, I don't know, Sherry. I, I don't think that's been released. She said, no, 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 no. We're in New York City. It's, it's, it probably releases here before anybody else. And we take it home, put it in, and you're watching it. And you're going, man, the film's really grainy. What, what's up with this? And then all of a sudden, we see this silhouette of somebody standing up in a theater and going like this to get to the aisle to go get their popcorn or whatever. <laughs> we're like, ah, oh, not an original. This wasn't the real deal. Oh, so frustrated. And I don't want you to have that with, with worship, that, that someday you go, man, this is just, this doesn't feel like it's the original. It doesn't, doesn't feel like this comes from an original place. And so I hope that today that there's some sort of desire expanding about expanding your worship to spiritual worship. You know, everyone in our culture. Everyone has the need or is hardwired to worship, to worship something or someone. Everyone chooses to worship with their life something or someone. Some people 
uh, their worship is focused on material possessions. And so their life is given to ob- obtaining those possessions and collecting them. Other people, they, they kind of obsess over one thing, and that's how their worship is expressed. They obsess over a comic book collection, a gaming, a hobby, or a sport. And their life choices reflect the worth that they put on those objects, things, or activities. You know, sometimes uh, uh, worship is focused on idolization of a person, whether it's, you know, the beautiful girl next door that nobody knows, or it's, it's the star on the screen, whether it's movie star, rock star, sports star. And again, life choices are reflected by the memorabilia, the posters, the autographs, and such that are symbols of that idolization, of that worship. So people worship with their lives everywhere. It happens. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, people worship. The thing is, is what do you want to worship? Is your worship placed in the right person? I'm not here to talk about worldly worship. I'm here to talk about spiritual worship. And it can only be spiritual if we worship God who is spirit. Right placement of your worship is important if you want to participate in spiritual worship. It has to be placed in one who is worthy, one who is big enough to receive your worship. I've, I've talked uh, with couples where the marriage is falling apart, and the reason is, is that someone took their mate and put them in the place of God, and they were so elevated in that person's life, they had so much dependence, so much expectation. Yeah, I can't say the word. You know what I mean. But anyway, they had so much placed on them that 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 mate was failing because they were human. They weren't God, and they couldn't meet all those expectations. And so that that someone put a wrong their worship in the wrong place in a person. I, I've seen it also uh, with some of our um, when we don't put it in in someone big enough. Uh, you see it with some of, of, of the rock stars who have gone to this level where they have, you know, zillions of people in the crowd just really adoring them. And then because of that life, they have to live secluded. And then when they come out, they're, they're almost worshipped. And, and those people become recluses. They become hermits. They, they start acting strange and they develop peculiar habits and mannerisms. And people go, man, that person's wigging out. You know why they're wigging out? It's because we aren't wired to receive that kind of worship. We can't handle it as humans. Only one person can, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only one big enough to handle the worship of the world. So if you are a Christ follower, you have chosen your place, your worship, upon only one. And to renounce worship of all other things, all other people, all other gods... You have a single eye, like when you're aiming a gun or a bow and arrow, you you close one eye. You have a single eye fixed on Christ as Lord of all. And as a Christ follower, your concern now is for the fame of Jesus Christ, not your own fame. Your, Your focus is on things accomplished by his power, not your own power. You are focused not on your kingdom, but on his kingdom. You remember the the end of the Lord's Prayer? For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It's about his kingdom, his glory, his power. Everyone worships with their life. 
What is your life revealing about your worship right now? You know, with the word worship, you might think of a, a certain prescribed action that, that is related to, to devotion being expressed. You know, maybe singing and praying in a chapel with a high-pitched roof. That's your idea of what worship is and where it happens. But the truth is, is that when Jesus came in, in, into the world, he made the Romans and the Romans' world, and, and even the Jewish world, made them scratch their heads and, and when the first Christ followers were being asked questions about their faith, it, it just blew their minds. You know, they go, they go up to one of the new Christ followers and say, oh, you, oh, you're a worshiper. So where's your temple? Don't have a temple. Oh, well, then where do your priests serve? Well, we don't have any priests. Well, who offers all your sacrifices to your gods? Well, we don't do that. There's just one sacrifice that ends all sacrifice. That's Jesus. There's only one temple that ends all temples. That's Jesus. And there's just one priest, the high priest of all, who ends all priests. And the Romans would look at them and go, I don't get that. That doesn't look like religion. That doesn't look like religion as I know it and how it's practiced around here. And you know what the Romans called the first Christ followers? You know the word that they used for them? They called them atheists. Because it looked like non-religion. That's what the word means. They called them atheists because they couldn't figure them out. You know, you'll still find religious people today who their idea of worship is singing in a high-pitched roof building. And if your worship expands anywhere outside of that, they scratch their heads and they go, I don't get it. I don't understand you. And you have to tell them, you have to explain to them about who you worship and how you worship. You know, in Romans 12, we're told that our life has been given to us as a gift. Every single one of us on this planet, our life is a gift. And for those of us who have received God's mercy, a double gift. And we can do with this life whatever we want, whatever we please. We have freedom. God has given us that freedom. But one of the things that here it says about our worship is that we can give our gift back to God. Give back our lives to God. And when we do that, that is spiritual worship. How do we give our lives back to him? How do we enter into this spiritual worship? You know, we aren't supposed to offer dead sac sacrifices. You don't need to go out and kill Fido and put him on the altar in the backyard. As a Christ follower, our worship is offering ourselves as living sacrifices, as a sign of the eternal life that's been put in us. You know, earlier in the book of Romans, it says that we're dead to sin but alive to Christ. So we shouldn't offer the parts of our body to sin as tools of wickedness, but rather offer ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. You ever called somebody a tool? You ever heard that? Well, the truth is, is that we're all tools. We're all tools. You're either going to be a tool of wickedness or you're going to be a tool of righteousness. Now, a nicer word is instrument. It takes it out of the, the crude context of, of today's meanings. But what, how are you going to be played? How, what, how are you going to offer yourself as an instrument in that way? You know, this is the beginning of pulling the lid off canned worship 
that's limited to a certain time and place and instead beginning spiritual worship with your life. I think it can start with a simple daily prayer. And, and it's a daily prayer that was taught to me by uh, uh, someone who poured into my life when I was younger. And it comes from this verse, Romans 12.1. It's based on this, offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And, and this person explained it to me like this. You know, back in the old days, they had an altar where they made their sacrifices. Well, we don't offer animals and kill them any longer. So there's an altar. And, and there's still an altar that, that we can offer something on, but we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And you can climb up onto that altar and you can offer yourself to God, offer the parts of your body. Lord God, here's my mind and my heart, and I want them close to your heart. I want my thoughts to be aligned with what you want and what you desire. Lord, here are my eyes. Help me to see the things that you see. Lord, here is my mouth. I want it to be offered to you, not to tear down people, but to build people up, to bless people, and, and to even bless those who might curse me. Lord, here are my hands. I don't want them to be used for evil. I want them to do good. Lord, here are my feet. Take me where you will. Lord, my ears, to be able to hear your voice and obey it and hear those around me and what they're really saying from their heart. Lord, I offer myself as a living sacrifice to you. And so we climb up on the altar, and that can become our daily prayer. The trick is, is staying on the altar throughout the whole day, expanding that worship to more than just a set moment. Because what can happen is you're on the altar, you offered yourself in the morning, and you're going through your day, and then all of a sudden something happens, there's a choice before you, and you climb down off the altar, and you go, you know what, I'm going to offer these hands as instruments of wickedness instead of offering them as instruments of of righteousness on the altar to God. And you just ceased your worship of God. Stay on the altar and your worship is unending. Your worship continues. It goes on. So that's a simple prayer. Offering yourself as a living sacrifice. It is your spiritual worship to God. You know, as you begin to find out what pleases the Lord and then do it, you can go throughout your day worshiping God, offering yourself to Him. Lord, I, I make this breakfast. I offer this service of making this meal and the enjoyment of eating it as worship to you. You ever eat a meal that turned into worship? I have. There's a place I love in town that I, I go to every now and then. I can't go there too often because it's expensive, but it's a place called Reza's. And when I go there, I start making these sounds like, mmm, oh. And I start thinking things like, God, how could food taste so good like this? This is, this is amazing. Thank you, God, for taste buds. Thank you that, that we can eat things and ingest things that taste wonderful and don't taste like dirt. I mean, think about it. God could have made everything taste like dirt and just said, you got to eat that to stay alive, keep you going. But no, he made it enjoyable. God, I praise you for this. You know, you can turn a meal into worship. I have before. You can too. Just be careful which restaurant you do that. And, and if your wife's there, be careful. My wife, uh, I, I got in trouble. She said, you don't ever make those kind of noises with the meals I make. Yep. Oh, boy. Well, our worship can expand into the everyday moments of our life. You know, you can be walking into your workplace, and, and all of a sudden you're stopped by that person that you wish 
you weren't stopped by as you were trying to make it to your desk, and they want to talk to you, and you wish you wouldn't have to talk to them, you know what you could do in that moment? You can turn and, and offer up that conversation as a sacrifice of worship to God. Lord, I offer kindness and encouraging words to this obnoxious person as, as an offering to you. You can do that. Turn that moment into worship. As you go to work, whether you type, build, make deals, sell things, you pray in your heart to God, Lord, I'm offering my work up to you. I'm going to build this, sell this, type this, make this with all I got. I won't slack off because I'm giving this to you as my offering, my worship to you. You see how worship just expands into every part of your day when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice? Every choice of your day and night become an, can become an act of worship to God. Everyone can worship with their life. What is your life revealing about your worship right now? You see, when you worship with your life, your worship can become unending. Milburn Price, in his book called The Dialogue of Worship, says that worship is an open-ended conversation, and it's unpredictable and dynamic. You know, if you're starting to feel like Sunday morning worship is growing stale for you, you know what the problem may be? It's not the worship leader. You might need some of the unscripted worship that comes from offering your life up as, an, as worship throughout the other six days of the week. You know, when you start doing that, when you see that this living sacrifice worship, this, this kind of unending worship can become unpredictable. And sometimes we need a little unpredictableness in our life to shake things up. You never know what you might be prompted to offer up in worship during the course of your regular day. You know, I, I think about the woman who, who brought the bottle of perfume to Jesus. It, it was a symbol of worship, but, but it was kind of one of those things where I kind of wondered if she was kind of looking for a, a more private time. And it just didn't happen in the way that, you know, Maybe she imagined it. And, well, this is where Jesus is, and this is the time that I can meet him, and so I'm going to barge into this dinner party, and I'm just going to break open this bottle and pour it out on him. And it was beautiful. Jesus said it was a beautiful thing done to me. When people started balking, when people started complaining, it's extravagant. You shouldn't do something extravagant like that. It should have been sold and given to the poor. He said, you know what, what, what this woman has done to me? It's going to be remembered until the end of, end of days. It's going to be spoken of throughout all the world, what this woman has done to me. A beautiful, unpredictable moment that happened. You know, worshiping with your life might mean there's going to be some, some spontaneous moments. It, it, it brings back the romance to our worship. And what I mean by romance is, is some of us need to dream up imaginative ways to show adoration to God. Dream up imaginative ways to show adoration to God. So when you are worshiping with your life, maybe you're skilled to build houses. Maybe you're skilled to be a nurse. What does it look like when you're going all out? What does it look like when you're dreaming up ways to show adoration to them? Maybe as a builder, you are on top of it with your subcontractors, and you got your crew just humming along. There's no sitting around waiting, and your materials and workmanship are quality, and you're, you're offering up designs and plans to him that are beautiful, and all of a sudden there's people that are taking notice. 
this. And they're going, what is that? What's special about that? Man, that's amazing. And you start, there's like, we're going to give you a award of the year for our best design of a home or whatever. You know, and the response is, hey, I'm just offering up my work to God as a living sacrifice. Part of my worship is to build. If you're a nurse, maybe you're on top of making your rounds, and as you meet each person, you're trying to treat them with as much dignity as you can, as if they were Jesus himself. And as you care for them, you offer kind words and a prayer in your heart, and people seem to be recovering better, and people want to give you uh, uh, thanks, and people are saying, man, that, that person deserves Nurse of the Year Award. And you just say, hey, I'm just offering up my work to God as a living sacrifice. Part of my worship is to nurse people to health. I was uh, over at the Great Eagle, and and, uh, um, Rebecca was there sharing, and and she asked the children, see this little fish on here? Does does a fish, what does it it do? How does it worship God? It swims, moves around in the water. That's what they said. Yeah. A fish worships God by simply doing what God created it to do. The same thing with us. Do the things we are created to do. Offer up ourselves as living sacrifices in unending worship. You know, I don't know what your occupation might be, but when you think of a, of a sports team, of an athlete who's competing and playing well, what, what do we say? Man, they're on the top of their game. Ooh, that guy is in the zone. What does it look like in your daily work if you're offering up to God and giving worship to him by being at the top of your game, by being in the zone? I don't care. You could be a bull rider or you could be at work for the sanitation department, but I bet if you started offering up your work as worship, some unpredictable, unscripted things might happen in your life. You know, this sort of of spiritual worship when it's expanded into the other six days of the week, can really make this time, this planned time of coming together with other Christ followers, really special. You know, in an encounter with God, when we come together and encounter Him, we, we all may respond differently. We're all stirred within in a different way. Some of us may have joy when we come into God's presence. We see Him singing over us and celebrating us and his great love for us as a daddy over his children and and there's joy in us and and it makes us respond to him in this way some of us uh, might come in in humbleness because we see how great and mighty god is and and we know how holy he is and we know there's we're sinful and at the same time we're thankful because he forgives and so we're humbled others of us you know uh, might come with thankfulness there's just thanksgiving just pouring out, gratitude that wells up within us. Others of us, we see God, we encounter him, and there's an awe. There's an awe fear, a right kind of fear that says, God, you are amazing. You are awesome. And it elicits a response in us. Who he is brings out worship in us. And my heart and my hope for you is that you won't hold it back, that you'll express it, that you'll let it out. Those things are our response to who he is and what he's done for us. It's expressions of our spiritual worship, what God is doing on the inside. And if I experience humbleness for, before God, it may affect the outward posture of my expression of worship. If I'm, if I'm sensing humbleness before God, you know what people in the Bible did to show humbleness, to show that in their posture? They would get down on their knees. 
You know, Daniel did this three times a day. He would go to the balcony and open up his window. He'd get down on his knees and he'd pray. Others that you see in the Psalms, they'll, they'll be down on their face they'll, or they'll even lie prostrate on the ground before God. It's, it's saying something outwardly. Your whole body is in agreement. Your body is in agreement with your spirit as you say something to God, as you worship Him. That's what you might do if you're experiencing humility. You know, in my encounter, if my encounter with God elicits joy within me, you know, I might stand to my feet and I might yell to God and say, Yes! You're awesome! Sorry, did I scare you? It's good. You're awake now. I might do that like I would do at a football game. Why not? He's much better than a football game. Man. Psalmist, what did he say? Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Yeah. Look, these, these outward expressions that you might see at Highland are, are not made up. They're, they come from the Bible. They're biblical. And we can see these forms of expression used by God's people. You know, today, we are God's people. We are the people of the book. And so we can go back to his word and look at his people and how they worship and go, oh, that, that's a way that is an outward expression that's really acceptable to God. And he wants that. You know, one of our expressions of worship is, is gathering together to sing. You ever think about singing and the amazing thing it is? I mean, it, you know, humans composing music and, and we blow wind out our lungs through these vocal chords and and at the same time while we're doing that, we form words. I mean, we're the only beings on this planet that do that. This, this melody and words, and, and it's, it's something beautiful. And you can, you can worship by yourself, but, but one of the practices of Christ followers is to gather together and worship. I don't know why God encourages this and why it's been a practice, but it's wonderful and amazing. There's something very great about it. There's wonderful dynamics that happen in this large gathering that don't happen in a small gathering or by yourself. The human voice and song has been a long-standing expression of worship. And God's people in the past really became quite creative in using their singing. Uh, sometimes they do singing, chanting. That, that was very participatory. Like uh, with Psalm 136, where they repeat this line, His love endures forever. You took your people out of Egypt. His love endures forever. You parted the Red Sea for them. His love endures forever. And, you know, there's this back and forth. And, you know, you can kind of, you know, you could have some fun with that. You could, you know, it's, there's some variety in what we see in the Scriptures, in our worship. You know, people in the past... Uh, they used all sorts of instruments in worshiping God. I love seeing the creativity that happens here at the Orange Peel and at the Gray Eagle when people bring in their different instruments, things I've never seen before. You know, sometimes worship was simply reading God's word back to him. You know, in the Bible, when Nehemiah and Ezra gathered the people to worship, they opened up God's word, and all the people stood together for six hours as they read the word of God out loud and it was their act of worship. You can see the believers in the first church quoting God's word back to him as they prayed. You know, you can speak God's word back to him as worship. It's the example that we see in the scriptures. You can do that. 
That is a form, an expression of worship. If, you don't, if you're not a singer, that's all right. Open up the Word of God. Read it out loud as your worship to Him. You know, did you know that you can worship God symbolically? You know, I mentioned the woman with the, the perfume bottle. What she did was a symbolic act of worship. In the Bible, when the Apostle John gives us a glimpse into, into heaven, we see 24 honored people around the throne of God, and they're all wearing golden crowns. But when they worship God, they take those golden crowns and lay them down at the Lord's feet, and they, they bow down to Him. That is symbolic worship. They took that crown which was a symbol of honor. It was their award. It was their trophy. And they give it back to God. You know, maybe some of you, maybe, maybe you can get a little creative with that. You know, maybe some of you, you, you know, at home, you can inspire some worship at home by taking down your little, uh, uh, your certificate of graduation. You know, you've you got all the letters behind it, PhD, EMA, whatever. And you could take it down and you could just lay it down before God. Say, God, thank you. These titles and awards have been given to me, but, but I lay them down to you because you are more worthy. You are my God. Maybe, maybe some of you got a little, little badge or something you wear at work. It gives you a title, you know, and you earn that title. I'm, I'm working hard. And, and maybe you got something on your door that says, you know, so-and-so and your title. Maybe you just need to take that off and lay that down before God. Say, God, all titles are nothing before you. You're good. You're good. Maybe some of you young teenagers, the only title you got is your driver's license. And, and, and it's the greatest symbol of your freedom, of independence in your life. Maybe you need to take that little symbol, that little card, and you need to lay it down before God and say, God, that independence is really great. I love that freedom. But you know what? It's nothing compared to you. It's nothing compared to you. I honor you with everything. With everything I am, everything I got, you are my God. You know, sometimes expressions of worship simply come out as words that are spoken, shouted, whispered, or sometimes our expressions come out through prayer, or sometimes just silence before God. You know, you could be quiet before God, and that is worship. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. You know, another expression of worship uh, were, were celebration with, with feasts. You know, with, with God's people, the Jewish people, uh, there was almost a, a celebration every month. And all of them always seemed to be centered around a meal or eating of some sorts. I like that kind of worship. I mean, that's, that sounds great to me. You know, it may sound strange to us today, but it was something God actually instituted with his people when he brought them out of Egypt. And, and, and one instance of one of these celebrations, the people were commanded not to mourn, but to be joyful in their, in their feast, in their celebration. There were some things going on that they were sad about, but God said, no, this is a day I want you to be joyful. You know, uh, did you know that when we get to heaven, one of the descriptions of heaven is the Lamb's wedding feast? A joyful eating party. Wow, I'm all for that. Man, let's worship God that way. And, and maybe, maybe we could do that. You know, we're doing these, this, this 20 tables thing where we're inviting people to come around dinner tables to get to know one another, but... But maybe there's some worship that goes on there where we, we honor God in, in our, with our eating and our fellowship together. It's like, God, this is a meal. This is a, a gathering in your name. We love you. You know, other expressions in the Bible were full of pageantry. 
like, like the parade that was thrown when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into Jerusalem by King David. You know, I mean, there was a sacrifice every so many steps, and there was singing, there was music and horns being played, and David was dancing all over the place. And, and you know, sometimes expression of worship came out through dancing, this movement of the body, and not just kings did it. You know, Miriam uh, and some of the women did it when they, after they crossed the Red Sea. You know, what I'm trying to show you is the variety of expression of worship that can be uncorked and placed right when you are in rightly placed relationship with Jesus. Worship with your life is worshiping God with everything, with every part of you. Now, you you can come on up here with the band. I'm going to be wrapping things up here. But, you know, in the scriptures, it describes the big picture of worship. Worship with your life like this. And it's a very simple statement that you can remember. It comes uh, from Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It's Paul saying this, For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, if you worship something else besides Christ, you might say those words instead like this. Maybe you'd say, For me, to live is money, to die is to lose it all. Maybe, maybe you'd say, for, for to me... To live is fame, fame and glory, getting my name great. And to die is to be utterly forgotten. You might say, well, for to me, to live is power and control and exercising authority. And to die is to be utterly helpless. It's a statement from Paul that helps us put our life and the worship that should come from our life in the right place and remind us that Christ is the only one big enough and worthy enough of our worship. What you worship can change the course and purpose of your life. Everyone worships with their life. What is your life telling about your worship today? Is it rightly placed? Is your relationship with Jesus in right standing so that it evokes worship? Or is your relationship with Jesus suffering And so your worship suffers, or it's causing you to put worship in a less worthy place or person or thing. Everyone worships one thing or another with their life, but right relationship with Jesus will get you rightly placed worship. And worship of Jesus is freedom, whereas worship of anything else or anyone else is slavery. Get into right relationship with God by placing your full trust in Jesus Christ. Or to do it, do it now. Don't wait. In the next few moments, we're going to do another expression of worship. Did, you know, one of the most interesting expressions of worship that's described in the Bible is remembering. You know, our Western minds would never picture remembering as worship. But in the Bible, you'll see several instances of it. Once with Joshua, when he crossed the Jordan River, he... he told Joshua to get 12 men and go back and get 12 stones and pick them up and take them out of the riverbed and put them on the ground and build them into a memorial, a monument. And he said this monument was to be a memorial so that whenever someone asked about it, they would tell the story of what God had done. You know, sometimes you can remember special moments in your life through pictures or mementos, graduations, babies being born. Did you know that you could have your own monuments to remember what God has done? That's something on the wall that your children or grandchildren say, what's that? You say, well, God did something very special in my life, and so I made that to remember and never forget that day and never forget what he's done. And so I could tell you that our God is a great God. 
That's part of remembering and recounting what God has done. It's worship. Did you know Jesus set up a memorial for us? He set up something for us that would be using remembrance as an expression of worship. And we call that memorial communion or the Lord's Supper. In the next few moments, we're going to take the, the, the building blocks of that monument, which were bread that represents Christ's body, take, taking juice that represents Christ's blood. And Jesus said, take these things and eat them. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. What are we supposed to remember? Him, his life, his death, his resurrection. It is an expression of our worship. In the next few moments while, while the music is being played, there's going to be a time where you can go to the perimeters of this room and participate in this memorial, this act of worship and remembering. You don't have to belong to a certain church to do this. You just need to belong to Jesus Christ to partake in this. So if you have already put your trust in Jesus Christ, we invite you to do this. And parents, we encourage you uh, to bring your children along. Explain to them what is this memorial about. Tell them the story. This is a good time for talking, for telling your children. It's not just be quiet, hush. This is a time to tell the story. Jesus Christ how did God demonstrate his love for us? While we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, in these moments, we want to expand our worship more than just to a time and a certain place. We want our worship to be 24-7. We want to worship with our lives. Lord, bring back the romance of worship. Help us to think of ways, to creative ways to show our adoration to you, not just here in a moment in a congregation, but in every moment. Lord, and now in this specific time, we want to remember what you did for us, to know that it cost you something to take away our sins. It cost you your life. We will not forget this. We will remember. You are our Lord and our God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's worship.